Are you tired of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with that. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. And you'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth? Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh, hey, man. How's it going? That's good. Oh, dude. Captain, what's going on? We know you have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? That's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. Wants cake. <laughs> and there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy, and we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial, but hey, the word supers and superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group, because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us? Well, good morning. <laughs> good morning to our viewers online as well. In case you didn't get it, uh, that is the opposite of the kind of groups that we want to have at Life Church, but I thought it was funny, so I thought I'd start it out with, uh, with that. So this is our second Connect weekend. Um, so if you didn't pick up a grow guide yet, you can pick up one of those before you leave today. Uh, it lists all of our small groups and classes you can sign up for this fall. You can also sign up on our website, uh, lifeonline.church. Um, we've already had some groups um, fill up. And so uh, you'll want to sign up soon if you haven't already. So when I first went on staff at my last church in 2007, um, I was initially hired to oversee small groups and discipleship. Um, more things were added to my plate over the years, um, but I was hired to oversee small groups and discipleship and uh, kept that as long as I've been in ministry. Um, and one of the t first tasks I set before myself when I went on staff was to go visit all of the small groups. And so at the time, there were over 100 adult small groups. So this was no small task. Um, I went to men's groups, women's groups. That was interesting. <laughs> uh, I went to seniors groups, married couples groups, mixed multi-generational groups. Uh, I quickly learned how to park my car uh, at someone's house so it wouldn't get blocked in by other cars. Um, anyway, one of the groups I remember visiting was a young adult small group. Um, needless to say, 
It was a large small group. There were about 30 people attending each week. Um, obviously, it was too big, but I, I think it was, a, it was a great group. There was a lot of good discussion. There was uh, worship, prayer. I saw a lot of leadership potential in the group. When I met with the leader a few days um, after that meeting that I attended, uh, I mentioned that to him. I said, you know, this is, this is a really great group, um, that he was doing a fine job leading it. But there were several of the people in the group that I could see potential to lead their own group. I asked him what he thought. And he said he didn't feel like anyone was ready. He said he felt like he needed to disciple uh, these people more. And so we went back and forth, back and forth, and uh, he wasn't budging. Now, I was new on staff, and maybe this isn't the way you should handle these things, but here's what I did. I went to one person that I thought was, it was just really obvious that they had a lot of leadership potential and were being underutilized. And like literally I could see leadership all over this person. And I asked her and her husband about their experience in the group. Um, just an open-ended question like, like how, how do you think your group's going? And they just opened up and shared their frustration that even though there were so many people uh, in the group who had all kinds of different gift, giftings, their leader was pretty much doing everything. Long story short, I encouraged them to go start their own group. Um, they did, and they did a great job with that. They not only led a group, but they raised up other leaders who started new groups out of that. Then I had them serve as small group coaches who uh, now they were overseeing several small group leaders. Um, then the wife started talking to me about sensing a pastoral call on her life. I had her go through pastoral training. She uh, went through a pastoral internship with me. She ended up going on staff at another church, a large church, first as a youth pastor, then as a campus pastor, and uh, more recently, um, she was promoted to be an executive pastor. And I haven't checked, but that church uh, is running somewhere between two and 3,000 people on the weekend. So why am I telling you this story? Last week, I talked to you about the vision and theology for community and small groups, kind of the big picture. This week, I want to talk about what actually should go on in a small group. Like, what makes for a healthy, growing small group? Where each person's growing in Christ, where each person's given the opportunity to discover their giftings and to use those giftings to grow in their leadership, leading people to Christ, discipling people, equipping them for ministry, dealing with conflict resolution. I mean, really, a small group is a microcosm of the church. Almost everything I deal with as your senior pastor, I initially learned in a smaller setting called a small group. This is a kind of small group that doesn't produce consumers, uh, it produces producers. It's the kind of small group that doesn't produce burnout in the leader, but it's where the leader can actually miss a week or two and the group functions just fine without them. It is a group that is spirit-filled, a group that is spirit-led, where people are ministering to one another in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? It's a group that feels more like a family than a classroom. So probably the guy who mentored me the most on small groups, uh, the guy who took me under his wing, opened doors for ministry for me, uh, was a guy named Jim Egley, E-G-L-I, Egley. Uh, Jim's kind of a small group guru. He has a PhD in small groups. In case you didn't know, you could get a PhD in small groups. Uh, he's written lots of books on small groups. He's led a lot of conferences on small groups around the country. Um, he, he took me under his wing. He would take me, help teach these uh, conferences on small groups. He would get requests from churches uh, that he couldn't do, and so he would refer them to me. So I ended up leading several small group conferences around the country because of Jim, this really gracious and humble spirit. So for his doctoral dissertation on small groups, he and Joel Kamiski, who's another small group guru guy, and uh, Dwight Marable, who's sort of like a stats guy, um, they surveyed thousands of small group leaders across the country and around the world to try to figure out what makes for a healthy, growing small group. Okay, like what do really healthy, growing small groups look like? So we're going to do a little test to see if you can figure out what those factors are. Uh, now, those of you who are in one of my turbo groups this summer, you already know the answers, so keep this to yourself. Okay, so on the back of your sermon notes, when you walked in, you should have been handed sermon notes. On the back of that, uh, you'll find a little test that I want you to take. And it looks like this. It says, what makes small groups grow? It's this thing right here. Okay, so I'll give you two or three minutes to answer the questions, but uh, these are statistically significant factors, meaning that without a doubt, these factors absolutely matter. So like small group leaders whose groups grow most rapidly, are they married? Are they younger? Are they well-educated? Are they outgoing? You can see the list there. So I want you to go through, and there should be now pens in your seat backs in front of you. And I want you to check whether or not you think this matters. Like this is a statistically significant factor that contributes to a healthy, growing, small group. So I'll give you a minute. When you're done, like look up so I know I can continue. This is an interactive kind of thing. All right. We'll get more of these interactive kinds of things because the talking head research shows is the least effective method for teaching people. So I like to engage different learning styles. Auditory, kinesthetic, musical. see probably 90% of heads up. Give it another 15 seconds.
All right. I want you to, by show of hands, I'm going to go, just go through the list. Who thinks small group leaders whose groups grow most rapidly are married? Raise your hand. Correct. You can be married or single, doesn't matter. How about younger? Correct. Not a statistically significant factor. How about well-educated? Nope. Not a factor. How about outgoing? Usually I get some people. Yeah. No. Uh, Some of the most... um, Prolific small group practitioners I've known, Jim Egley included, are really shy people, introverts by nature. Uh, How about gifted teachers? No one is raising their hand. Okay, one. True. Uh, Gifted teaching. Teaching is not necessary. Having a gift of teaching is not necessary to be a A good small group leader. How about gifted in evangelism? Yeah, a couple, one, two, few. Nope, not a factor at all, okay? How about spending more time with God? Yes, it is a factor. How about praying daily for your group members? Yes, praying consistently for your non-Christian friends. Yes. Modeling and encouraging friendship evangelism. Yes. You know what that means? That means you have friends who actually, like, are unchurched. (laughs) And you, like, love on them and, like, find ways to serve them and that kind of stuff. Okay. How about encouraging, caring relationships and fun activities in the group? Yes. Spending time with members outside the meeting? Yes. Noticing and encouraging others' gifts and abilities? Yes. About identifying and utilizing potential leaders. Yes. Spending more time praying for your group meetings. Yes. Spending more time preparing the lesson for your meetings. No. Literally, there is no discernible difference from the person who spent 10 hours preparing to lead their small group and the person who, like, literally looked at it on their drive there. Fascinating, isn't it? So, the takeaway from that is, you know, you've got like 15 minutes before small group starts. Are you going to look through the notes or are you going to pray? <laughs> pray, because God can do way more than we can do, all right? So, here, here are two big takeaways, all right? One, look at, look at your list there. Everything that makes for a healthy, growing small group, literally anyone can do. You don't need to have certain personality type. You don't need to have certain spiritual gifts. Um, anyone can do these things. Okay? The, the, the list will come up on the, on the screen there. You just need to spend more time with God. Pray daily for your group members. Pray consistently for your non-Christian friends. Model and encourage friendship evangelism. Encourage caring relationships and fun activities in the group. Spend time with members outside the meeting. Notice and encourage others' gifts and abilities. Identify and utilize potential leaders. And spend time, more time praying for your group meetings. So the second takeaway 
from this study is that based on those factors I just mentioned, um, they can really be distilled down um, to this. A healthy small group basically includes four components. Okay. Upward, inward, outward, forward. And I would even argue that uh, these same principles apply to the church as a whole. Okay. So the upward focus of a small group is our relationship with God, expressed primarily through study of God's word, through prayer, and through worship. Okay? It's the upward thing, connection with God, upward. All right? Inward focus of a small group is this. Are we being authentic? Are we being transparent? Are we being vulnerable? Like, are we being real and sharing what's really going on in our lives, or are we just pretending and are we wearing a mask? Are we supporting one another as a family? Are we at all doing life together, or is the only time we see one another in our meetings? That's the inward focus. Okay? The outward focus of a small group is this. Do we have a heart for who Jesus has a heart for? The lost, the last, and the least. Are we praying for them? Are we uh, reaching out to those who don't know Jesus? Are we ever doing anything for outreach or are we just focused on ourselves? And then the forward focus is this. Are we helping one another grow in Christ? Uh, Are we giving people permission to ask us how we are applying what we're learning each week? Like, also, uh, a small group, um, is this small group a one-man or a one-woman show? Or is everyone pitching in, taking turns, leading the various parts of the group each week? I always say a healthy small group is like a healthy family. In a healthy family, everyone pitches in, everyone has different chores and things. In an unhealthy family, it's usually one person doing everything, right? And I always make this joke, it's usually mama. And we all know if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? So, um, one person, is it one person burning out and the others aren't getting to use any of their gifts? Okay. So this can be demonstrated with uh, a picture uh, of a three-legged stool. So that'll come up. There you go. Um, as you can tell by looking at that stool, it's the upward focus that holds everything together. Um, we want every group to be led by, dependent on, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. We absolutely want people growing in their love of the Lord, their knowledge of the Lord, and their dependence on the Lord. So the upward Focus is the most important of the four, but we need the others as well. If we don't have all four, that stool will fall over. So let's say, for instance, we'll go through each one. Let's say, for instance, you don't have the inward focus. Okay, there's no transparency, there's no authenticity, there's no depth of relationship, there's no trust, there's very little love. If that's the case, no one knows the real you because you haven't shown the real you. And when you don't show the real you, you can't receive love. 
It's when you show the real you and you're still accepted and loved that you can then receive people's love, right? Otherwise, they're just loving the mask. Without the inward focus, we're not supporting one another as a family, right? And we're not at all doing life together. Essentially, we are with people, but we feel all alone. When life gets difficult, which it always does at some point, um, there, we feel like there's no one who has our back. Uh, there's no one who's praying for us. There's no one who's there to support us. There's no one there to encourage us. There's no one else to help us out when we need it most. Okay, let's say that's the inward. Let that, let's, there's no inward. That's what that looks like. Let's say this group has no outward, no outward focus. This is actually quite common both in small groups and it's quite common in churches as well. Um, you can go for quite some time without having an outward focus, um, not praying for those who need Jesus, uh, not inviting them at all, not doing anything for outreach. But I think if your group doesn't have a heart for who Jesus has a heart for, the lost, the last, and the least, then I think the Spirit of God will leave your group. And after a while, you find yourselves just going through the motions and you're wondering, where's the mojo? Um, where's the power? Where's the presence? It's not like it used to be. And I think that's because we have grieved the heart of God when we have ignored those who are far away from him, when we have ignored the least of these. The criticism that's often leveled at small groups is uh, that they tend towards navel-gazing, meaning they become ingrown and cliquish. That is our natural tendency, to focus on those we know. We walk into a crowded room, right? What's our tendency? To look for people that we know and to go talk to them. So let, let me show you a picture. It's terrible artwork, I know, but it, it'll get my point across. <laughs> so uh, these people are connected with one another. They're holding hands. They're facing each other. Uh, maybe they're having a discussion. Maybe they're praying. That's good. They see each other's burdens. They can respond to them. That's good. But what about those unconnected people outside the circle? Like, what if there are people outside the circle uh, who don't follow Jesus or who just need to be included? So let me show you another picture. A little bit different. Um, these people are still connected with each other, but they can, they can still see each other. They can still care for one another. They can still pray for one another. But they also now can see the unconnected people much easier because they're facing out, whereas before they were facing in. Their focus is different now, and now it's easier to see those people and reach out to them with the love of Jesus. So those pictures don't just symbolize different group focuses, they symbolize the state of our own heart. Each of us individually has a heart that is either inward focused or outward focused. 
So if we discover that our heart is inward focused, how do we become more outward focused? One thing I've done over the years is maintain a list of people that I pray daily for their salvation. I call it my top 10 list, um, although it's probably more like 20 at this point. Um, over the years, I've seen some of those people come to faith in Christ. And when I do, when they do, I add another person to the list. Right? So praying for those people you know that need salvation, praying for them daily will train you to have God's heart for those who are far away from him. Another way to become more outward focused is to find ways for you personally to be among and to serve the poor. Spending time with the poor will change you. It absolutely will. Um, I grew up very poor and was exposed to uh, the homeless population at a very early age. Um, my alcoholic stepfather would go on a binge and he would go live in the woods for two or three weeks and then uh, he would come back with several new friends he had made. And literally these, these homeless people would like live with us for several months at a time. So like literally I grew up knowing and living with lots of homeless people. And then as a pastor, um, I've spent a lot of time serving the poor, serving the homeless, serving the disabled. Um, it is with those people it is in the presence of those people that we see Jesus. It's true that when we, we do it unto the least of these, that we are doing it to Jesus. Interestingly, I've also spent uh, time with the wealthy. Um, having been an opera singer, uh, I spent time with people with means so I literally have seen both ends of the spectrum. And I can tell you that Jesus is among the poor. He is among the least of these. If you are wondering where, how can we experience more of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, um, it's with them. It's in those moments where we're ministering, where we're being the hands and feet of Jesus to the people who he absolutely loves that we encounter the presence of God in a way that transforms us in, in like nothing else can. So here are some scriptural reasons too why we need to have a heart that is outward focused, focused on the lost, the last, and the least. So Proverbs 19, these will pop up here. Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Proverbs 14, 31. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Deuteronomy 15, 11, There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Acts 20, 35, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then Matthew 5.16 says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
Then Isaiah 61.1, which is what Jesus read in the temple at the beginning of his ministry. So the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And then Matthew 25, 34 through 36 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. So having an outward focus is absolutely critical for a small group. It's absolutely critical for a church. If a group doesn't have an outward focus, if there is no heart for who Jesus has a heart for, right, the lost, the last, and the least, then I think the Spirit of God will leave that group. You will just, you will find one day you're just going through the motions. And we don't want that. Okay, so let's say we don't have the forward focus in a small group. This is common too. Um, either the focus is just on learning things and no one is actually growing or changing, meaning like there are no questions like, how do you feel the Spirit leading you to apply this to your life? And what's one change or action you will take this week based on this discussion we just had? And can we ask you next week if you did it? Right? Either there's no one applying these truths to their lives or another way a group can lose its forward focus is by making it a one-man or one-woman show right? where the leader does everything and everyone else just shows up and receives. So let me, let me give you a picture of what that looks like. Um, and I've done this many, many times over the years when I've started new small groups. Okay, so when I start a new small group, um, the first meeting, I will do essentially everything. Okay, I'll usually host it in our home. I'll provide the snacks. Um, I'll lead an icebreaker question. I'll facilitate discussion on the study. Um, and I facilitate prayer at the end. At the end of that first meeting, I've done this, I don't know how many times. At the end of that first meeting, I'll thank everyone for coming. Um, thank them for, you know, signing up for the group. Tell them I was um, really blessed to have everyone here tonight, that kind of thing. Um, but then I will say, I was happy to lead all the different parts of the group tonight, um, but I won't be doing that again. And then they look at me like deer in headlights. So then I'll take the study, like, we, like I had a sheet, and I'll turn it over. And on the sheet, I'll write next week's date. And I'll say, and I'll write the words snacks, <laughs> icebreaker, discussion, prayer across the top. Then I'll say, who would like to bring snacks next week? And they go, oh, I'll bring snacks. And so I'll write their name. I'm like, who would like to do the icebreaker next week? It's always silence. I'm like, look, all you have to do, and I, and I 
I basically write the study that goes with the sermon and I give you like three icebreaker questions to choose from. I've written out the questions that then go along with the sermon. So it's like super simple. And I modeled this that, that evening. Like literally I just went through the study and did these things. So I said, all you have to do is pick one of these icebreaker questions, you answer it, and then we'll go around. And I'll go, oh, okay, I can do that. And I'll say, who would like to facilitate the discussion? And then silence. And I'll, and I'll say, look, all you have to do is ask the questions and I, you don't have to answer them yourselves. Actually, a bad small group leader answers their own questions, okay? A good small group leader asks the questions and then gets out of the way, okay? And they're like, oh, okay, I, I can do that. And then I, and I, typically I'll hold on to prayer for a few weeks. I'm like, okay, I'll, 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 do, I'll do prayer part. Um, I'll say, you know, at some point during this, this study, it'd be cool if we had like a, like a social gathering or something. Would someone like to plan that? You know, oh, oh yeah, I could do that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and then maybe I'll wait till wait, week two or three and find somebody who can coordinate an outreach kind of thing that we could do. Um, I have had people literally who have never attended a small group in their life before this. Like this is their very first time attending one, sign up to facilitate the discussion. Like they don't know any different. They're like, oh, this is just how we do this, right? So I promote a model of shared leadership in a small group where everyone is pitching in, everyone is helping out in some way. In addition to a snack schedule and leading different parts of the meeting and stuff, um, I also have different people host the group. So maybe we meet uh, one month at this person's house. Maybe we meet another person's house in this month, right? It can burn you out if you are the host every week. Like I know this, years of like Monday night groups. My wife Jackie's like, we got to clean the house. We got to clean the house. People are coming over, you know, that kind of thing. Week after week after week, Okay. By the way, you don't have to clean the house. You can just let people see you for who you are, but some of us struggle with that, okay? By the way, I am a huge fan of small groups meeting in the community, like in homes and out, out in coffee shops and things like that. Theologically, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating our community, right? I went to my first small group because it happened in my home and I couldn't avoid it. <laughs> Literally. Like, my sister was living with Jackie and I at the time. She was going through a rough state. Um, at the time, we were, Jackie and I were uh, attending a Lutheran church. And my sister started going to this charismatic church. And which I was like, oh, you know, that kind of thing. And then she was in, in a small group and then she asked Jackie and I, hey, can, can I host the group at our place? And I said, that's fine. We'll just leave and come when it's over. <laughs> so we left uh, and came back when it was supposed to be over, but it wasn't. There were like little groups of people like throughout our little townhouse, like laying hands and praying. And I was like, for sure, like this was like a cult kind of thing. But literally that was my, my first exposure to small groups and is God's irony that here I am today, right? And I've been training up small group leaders for, you know, close to two decades. 
There were many times when we would meet in our uh, little townhouse and we'd have worship and it would be warm. And so we'd open the front door, we'd open the back sliding glass door. We'd be in there singing and worshiping and like, and like people are walking by going, no, what's, what's going on in there? That kind of thing. Literally, it is taking the presence of God out into the dark places of this world. Okay. So, no, I won't, I won't say no if you want to use a room at the church for your small group, but I'm always happier when you're out there. Okay. So, you get the idea. Um, all of these four elements are super important. Upward, inward, outward, and forward. So, here's a picture of the stool again. Okay. The upward focus... Our relationship with the Lord, it's what connects it all together. It is the most important. Uh, we need all four elements or that stool will fall over. Everyone is just as important um, and we need all four. Okay, so I want to I wanna close with a story. It's a fictional story, but I think it illustrates the point of small groups. Okay, all right, here we go. So Joe and Marlene are a happily married couple with kids. Joe works on the loading dock of a trucking company, and Marlene works at a fast food restaurant. Their three children, Hank, Susan, and Kenneth, made good grades in school and are very bright. The whole family loves Jesus, and each week they faithfully go to church. They have family devotions together after dinner each evening, and the children don't just sit there and endure it, they look forward to it and participate. Joe and Marlene are proud parents and love their family. Hank, the oldest, enjoys writing science fiction stories and shares a bedroom with his brother, Kenny. Susan has always been very helpful around the house and feeds and bathes the family dog. Kenny, while not nearly as studious as Hank or Susan, is quite the athlete and enjoys playing baseball, basketball, and soccer. So, question. What observations can we make about this family? So I've asked this question many times, different small group leader trainings, and you know, some people will say, it's too good to be true, this is like some fantasy, like I've never seen my kids do all that, you know, it's like, you know, some, um, you know, they'll just say, yeah, you're just make, making this, you know, there's like no family that operates this way. Um, and then I tell them the rest of the story. All right, here's the rest of the story. Joe and Marlene have been married for 46 years. Joe is in his late 60s, and Marlene will be 63 this year. Hank is 43. Susan is 37. And Kenny, the youngest, was a bit of a surprise to Joe and Marlene. He's 29 years old. All three graduated from college. And then I asked this question, what is the first thing that needs to happen in this home? Right, kick those kids out. <laughs> right? So, with biological families, we understand how this is supposed to work, right? We know the goal is not to have a 30, 40 year old kid still living at home. Uh, but with spiritual families, it's not that obvious. But here's the point. People who are being taught should someday start teaching others what they're learning. 
People who are being led should at some point start leading others. People who are truly being discipled will begin to disciple others. That's the point of a small group. Okay? Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Like literally, there is the scriptural answer to Jim's question, what makes for a healthy growing small group? It's when we're all helping one another grow. When we are moving from being immature to being mature in the faith. When we are moving from being consumers to being producers. Had a mentor once tell me um, how he responds to people when they say they, they want more meat in his sermons. I want more meat, I want more meat. Need more meat, need to learn more. He would say, the meat is in the streets. That means you take what you've learned and you start using it. What, like literally the last thing Jesus said before he went up, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. Like that, and that's not a mandate just for those 12. It's a mandate for all of us. Okay? There it is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that each person here would connect into a small group where they could grow and mature and be part of a family where they are known and loved, where they feel supported, they feel encouraged. God, that they would eventually begin to disciple and lead others in some form or fashion. God, connect each person into a group where they can be transparent and authentic, where they're discovering and using their spiritual gifts, a group where they're experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, where they're being transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, may each part of the body of Christ do its own special work where we're helping the other parts of the body grow so that the whole body of Christ is healthy and growing and full of love. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.